could listen to Mark Miller play the guitar just about all day long, I think. And I kind of would like to have Megan preach the rest of the day. If you just want to read, you've heard it once, so maybe you could do it. She, she did a great job, didn't she? Oh my goodness. So, hey, we are um, in the second week of a new series that we just started last week um, called The Road to the Cross. Um, uh, the series right before this was a, a series on vision. And um, I just want to keep reminding us of this. I don't want us just to kind of talk about our vision and our core values and then just say, oh, well, that was, well, that was in January. Forget that. So I just want to keep being, reminding us of it. So I'm not going to have you say the, don't have to memorize it. So let, this is our vision statement. God's vision for Baseline Community Church is to grow disciples who authentically follow Jesus Christ so that our communities are transformed. Good, we're getting it, right? And that just by keeping it in front of us, hopefully this will become more and more part of who we are and reminding us is this is what we're about. This is why we gather. This is why we have a church. It's to help people become followers of Jesus and then make a difference in their communities. And then we have these four core values, right? And we'll put those up there too, right? Worship Jesus, love one another, serve together, and share the gospel. And really, every time you come on a Sunday, I suppose every time you gather to be a part of anything that we do as a church, you should be asking yourself, okay, Lord, what are you, what are you using this to help me do one of these better? Am I going to be able to worship Jesus better after this? Am I going to be able to love others better or maybe serve? Or, or maybe it's about sharing my faith. But, but everything we do really should help us do this better so that we can then help others become disciples. We can become uh, stronger disciples of our own. So as, as I'm speaking, as we're in worship, as we're spending time in prayer, just ask the Lord, Lord, what are you, how are you using this to do your good work in me? So we are um, going to take a look today at um, what we're doing is we're, we're following Jesus on, on this trip that he's taking. He's, he's going from the Caesarea Philippi down to Jerusalem to the cross. And along the way, there's going to be all these encounters. And today, we're actually going to look at three different encounters, really quick little encounters that he has on the way down towards Jerusalem. And they're recorded um, in the book of Matthew. And so if you, want to have, if you have a Bible, you can follow along. We're going to be in, starting in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. And, um, and here's the way it goes. He says this. He says, um... At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him, and he had him stand among them, and he said, um, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. And then if you turn over to the next chapter, chapter 19, right, the, the journey continues. But chapter 19, verse 13, here's what we read. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to pray, to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When they had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Then you go over one more chapter, chapter 20 in Matthew, and you get to verse 20. We read this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of Jesus. 
What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. So, Lord, uh, our prayer is that you would um, cause your word to do a good work in us. Take these words of yours that have been recorded and uh, use it to shape us, to help us to become more and more as you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, so three different stories, three different encounters that happen on this road, all three very similar. I think any time you want to teach somebody something, you remind them a few times about it, right? If it's that important, you're not just going to teach it one time and then just move on, but it's going to be continually teaching them about what it is. Like uh, when your kids are starting to walk, right, and, and they're just learning to walk and you're walking around a park or outside and you're, they're getting next, near to the street, you're constantly you're saying, okay, don't walk into the street. And it's not like you go to the park next week and you say, well, I taught them that last week, so I don't have to remind them again. No, it's like all the time, you're, no, you do not cross into the street. Or if you're teaching your kids how to drive, right? You, you, know, you constantly are teaching them, okay, look both ways before you make the left-hand turn. Okay, look, look, look both ways before you take the left-hand turn. And you constantly are doing this, right? It's not like, oh, they got it one time. You know, now if you're teaching your kids about, like, credit cards and things like that, it's like, okay, credit card is not free money, okay? You just keep reminding your kids of these things that this is what the truths are. And here in this, what we're seeing here is that three different times Jesus is going to teach his disciples and us something very similar. And it's anytime something is, is um, in the Bible a few times, anytime it's repeated, it's as if saying, this is really important. And here's what it is. The issue that Jesus is dealing with, with his disciples and with you and I today, is pride. It's pride. Three different stories about pride and humility. First one, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, which one of us is going to be the greatest here with you? The next one Hey, some children want to see you, but we took them away. No, let the little children come to me. And then finally, a mom comes and says, hey, can my two sons sit on your right and your left, these positions of honor? And so this is all about pride and humility. Pride, throughout, Christian, throughout history, Christian leaders have seen pride as the most important sin to deal with. Here's what C.S. Lewis uh, wrote in Mere Christianity. It says this, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that 
are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. All those others, unchastity, anger, greed, drunk, they're just flea bites. Nothing compared to what sin does or what pride does to us. And that pride is the chief cause of misery in every nation and in every family. The devil became the devil through pride. Wasn't content at just being one of God's angels. He wanted to be God on an equal footing. The first step of sin was a step of pride. Right? The Lord sets up the garden, Adam and Eve, and in there, there's this beautiful sense of fellowship that's happening there. Everything is provided for them. Except you can eat anything you want, Adam and Eve, except from the tree in the middle of the garden. The serpent slithers up to Eve and says, uh, did God really say that you uh, can eat from every tree? Well, every tree in the garden except for the one in the middle because he said that when we eat from that tree, we'll die. Then verse 4, Satan says, but you will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. The first sin is ultimately a sin of pride. It's quite a responsibility, right? The thought is that uh, I couldn't be like God. I um, I don't need God if I'm like God. And so I can become God. You see, we are broken people because of this. And and we are often unsure of our identity. And we need oftentimes to try and build ourselves up. And sometimes to do that, we tear other people down. And we compare ourselves with one another. We build ourselves up by talking about the size of our bank account or the size of our church the number of likes we get on a post, or the number of degrees we have after our name. We talk about our GPA, our SAT, our ACT, what college we went to, or what college our kids are going to. And none of these things are bad in and of themselves. But because pride is such a hidden demon that we often use these things to build ourselves up and put other people down. There's a a man named Andrew Murray who was a pastor in South Africa in the 1800s, and he wrote uh, a book on humility, which he creatively entitled Humility. Um, And so in 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 his introduction to his book, this is what he writes. He said, let us at the very beginning of our study admit that there is nothing so natural to us nothing so insidious and hidden from our sight, nothing so difficult and dangerous as pride. You see, it's so easy to see pride in somebody else, but so difficult to see it in ourselves. And we do subtle things that we don't even know we're doing that all come from this place of pride. So let's say that you're... uh, Your son or daughter just got into Stanford, let's say. I'll just use Stanford as an example. And you're at a party with some people. 
you find a way to start talking about college. Hey, um, how's your kid's college search going? Oh, pretty good. Have they figured out where they're going? No, not yet. What about yours? Oh, mine just got into Stanford. Oh, see? Or we, uh, here's what? Who else? Where else? Harvard. Okay, we're just, see, we do this. Or let's say business is going really well. So you're at a party again or with some friends. You, uh, you say, hey, how how things going at work? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Oh, things couldn't be better. Got promoted. Oh, good. You see how we do this? Or am I the only one that does this? I'm afraid we don't even realize we're doing it. Because pride is such a part of who we are deep inside. It's so easy to see pride in others, yet so hard to see it in ourselves. And yet, C.S. Lewis and I think Jesus and others say it is the root of all other sin is pride. So uh, Jesus' antidote to pride is this, become like a child. Come like a child, right? The disciples come up and say, hey, Jesus, which one of us is the greatest? And, and the wording is used like, which of us is greatest right now that's helping you the most or whatever? And they're thinking he's going to choose Peter, James, John, who knows? And he brings in a child and he says, this is the greatest. If you really want to enter the kingdom of heaven, become like a child. The children are brought to him and the disciples are, no, he doesn't have time for them. Oh, no, no, no. Bring the child, because unless you become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it really is about being like a child. And, and that verse, the verse there in Matthew 18 is, unless you change and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that word change is a really important one. It's, it's the same word that we could, we could say repent. Unless you really change the way you're moving, unless you really change the way you're thinking, you will not um, enter the kingdom of heaven. And you change to become like a child. And this is totally opposite what the culture of Jesus' day would have thought. Totally opposite of what the Greeks thought. The Greeks thought children were really nothing. They would really kind of just stay out of the way. And yet Jesus is elevating children to this incredible position of saying, if you really want to know what it's like to be great in the kingdom of heaven, become like a child. Um, what's really interesting is when I first wrote that, that Jesus' antidote to pride is to become like a child, we'll go through the points that we'll get to here in a moment. But then I realized this, that the Son of God became a child. That, that Jesus was a child. And, and that the Son of God, by becoming a child, that there's no greater example of humility than in Jesus. And that that is, in many ways, the antidote. Is Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection is what helps us overcome pride. That helps us to really change and to follow the ways of Jesus. And, and Jesus oftentimes, all over the Gospel of John, it's recorded, he'll say, hey, look, I don't do anything on my own. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Beautiful picture of humility. Or you know what? All, all, everything I say, 
is just what the Father has told me to say. Again, this incredible picture of humility. But to become like a child, I have three sort of um, points on what I think it means to come as a child to our God that will help us then to experience humility. And the first is this. We come to God as a child trusting him. Trusting him. Right? A, a child trusts their parents. A child knows that their, the parent wants what is best for them and will do what is right for them. And so we come to our God trusting that he knows what is right and desires what is best for us. And so as a little child is willing to come alongside and be with the parent because the child trusts the parent, you and I come alongside our God and he's our father and we trust him because we really believe that he knows what's best for us and he will do what is best for you and I. And so what it means to come to to God as, as trusting him. The second point that I believe that means to have or come as a child is that we come depending upon our father. Again, a, a child fully depends upon their parent to provide for them. Children are not able to make it on their own. They're not able to, um, to find their own food. They're all that, but they are depending upon their parent to provide for them. And you and I come to our God fully depending upon him to provide what we need. We cannot save ourselves. We are only saved by God's grace. We are fully dependent upon what God gives us. We're fully dependent on God for our next breath. And so we come as children to our God, fully depending upon and then the third sort of way that children come to their parents is that they come loving. And you know this feeling, uh, if you've had kids, of, of when you walk in the door at, after a day of work and your kid just comes running and grabs a hold of you and there's just this picture of, what it, of love. And, and that children realize that they are loved by their parents and they respond back in love and it, and it causes there to be great openness and great joy in a relationship. And so we as God's children come to him uh, loving him in this way. And then we learn what it means to love others through him. And we're reminded from 1 Corinthians 13 that says that love doesn't boast, it is not proud, it is not self-seeking. And that when we come to our God as a child, we learn what it means to be humble. Because we trust him, we're dependent upon him, and we love him. So in order to kind of help this stick, this idea of us being children of God and coming to God as a child, I want to show you one of my favorite pictures. So I have this picture in my office in a little frame, and that's Matthew when he's about nine months old. We're going to try and recreate that picture this summer. Um, <laughs> those of you that don't know, Matthew's now 6'4", and... Wouldn't fit in that backpack. But, um, but I love this picture. And I think it's a really good image of what it means to um, come to God as a child. And, and, and uh, Matthew, um, Matthew trusted me. Matthew knows that I'm not going to drop him. He knows that I'm going to hold on to that backpack. 
that I'm going to take him care of, that I'm going to take him to good places, that he, he can trust me because I'm his father. He doesn't have to worry about that. He also is fully dependent upon me. Couldn't walk on his own at that time. He needed me to take him around. He needed me to care for him. And so he fully dependent upon me. And you can just tell that there's a connection and a love there that, that happens in a relationship. It wasn't as if um, in the morning we thought, you know what, Matthew's been such a good boy, we're going to take him out for a little hike today. We just took him out because he's our son. It wasn't because he was good, just because he is our son. And we're fully dependent upon God's grace in our life. So when you think about what does it mean for me to be a child of God, imagine what it means for you to trust him, to be fully dependent upon him, and to love him. And when we do that, then I believe that the pride that is so much a part of our life starts to get chipped away by our Lord. And he starts to change us. And he starts to shape us. And the way to become a, a child like this is that we ask God pretty much each and every day, Lord, make me like a child. Lord, do what you want in my life so that I can be your child today. Help me to do this. And help me to take on the life of Christ and to take on the lifestyle of Christ and to live my life in such a way that I realize I'm your child, and you're my father. And help me to be humble as you do this. And then as we grow in humility, the action, the, the proof of humility is service. It's just the way it happens. Jesus said it, right, in the, in the third passage we looked at. It says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus is this ultimate example of humility and service. That even the Son of God, the great Son of God, did not come so that people could serve him, but he came that he might serve others. And so he's this amazing example of us, of what it means to serve. And so one way you can tell if you know that you're growing in humility is are you growing in your desire to serve others? Great question. Do I desire to serve? If something pops up at work or at home or at church and they need, a, need something, it's my first thought, you know what, I can help do that then that would mean that humility is growing in you because you're willing to serve. The other way is, are you willing to serve in such a way and at times where nobody else will know? Nobody will know you ever did this. Nobody will ever know that you gave this money to this person or nobody will know that you stepped in to help your, that no, there's going to be nothing coming back in terms of stuff you get. And then the other one is, are you willing to take on the lowest job possible? Are you willing to do that job that nobody else wants to do? 
That's how we know that humility is growing in us. When we see these things and we're saying, yeah, I'll do that. I think God wants me to do that. I want to be a part of that. Just having a willingness to serve. So taking all of this in, um, I believe the antidote to pride is that, Lord, make me like a child. Help me to learn what it means to trust you, to fully depend upon you, and to love you with everything I have. But then how, does this, how are we supposed to rightly think about ourselves now? So uh, this man named Thomas Terrance, who was um, part of the C.S. Lewis Institute, wrote a um, paper on pride and humility. And near the end, this is what he said. He says, we are God's creatures, small, finite, dependent, limited in intelligence and ability, prone to sin and soon to die and face God's judgment. That that's how you're supposed to think about yourself. All right? But it's true, right? Everything there's true. I'm small, finite, dependent, limited in intelligence, ability, prone to sin and soon to die and, and face God's judgment. And that reminds us that we have been created by God. We are God's creatures. Okay, but he didn't end it there. Okay, next one. But we are also God's children created, loved, and redeemed by God's grace alone, not by anything in or of ourselves, and gifted by God with certain unique gifts, abilities, resources, and advantages which are to be used for his glory. I think that's how we're supposed to look at ourselves, realizing that I have been created by God, that I am finite, that I am broken, that I'm a sinner, that I have limited resources, but I'm also God's child, that I'm loved by him, that he's given me gifts and he's given me abilities and he's given me things to do, but all of it is done for God's glory. That is what it means to rightly think about yourself. The key is not to beat yourself down, but to have a really true view of who you are and not, then not to think about yourself or compare yourself with other people or criticize other people because they're different than you. No, it's just to be who God has created you to be. And allow our life to be shaped by the life of Jesus. Just continue to see what he does and how he does it and ask him to make us more like him. And, and Paul understood this. And in Philippians 2, he wrote one of the more beautiful statements about Jesus and how we're supposed to live in, in humility. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You, you see, it's in humility that, that Jesus Christ even started on this road to the cross because of his humility and because of who he is. And, and, and I'm so um, I'm so 
worried. What's the word? I don't even know what it is, but, but just at how difficult it is to see pride in my own life, right? That pride is so easily detected in others and so hard to see in myself. And so what we really do have to do is, is we have to take a really good look in the mirror. And, and we have to kind of look at ourselves and say, Lord, show me where there's pride. Show me those instances where I bring something up just so I could lift myself up. Show me those instances where I can I say something because I'm putting others down so I feel better about myself. But even that is hard, right? So this is uh, Nancy's deal that she uses for her makeup and stuff like that. So what it has on it is it has, it magnifies if you turn it like that. And that looks really ugly that close in. I mean, you see every wrinkle. see every hair that's out of place. You see every blotch that's on your face. You, I mean, it, I don't, you don't even want to look at it. But that's, we got to look at the magnified mirror if we're really going to see the pride that's in our lives. Because it's become so ingrained in who we are, I'm afraid. And the only way to deal with it is to bring it before the Lord. The only way to truly deal with it is to say, Lord, I know it's there. Show me where I'm prideful. Show me those places that are keeping me from really experiencing relationship with you as a child. Show me those places of pride that keep me from really experiencing relationship with one another. Even those people that are closest to me. I know that there's pride that keeps me from experiencing those relationships. So look deeply in the mirror. Take a good look at who you are and who God wants you to be. He wants you to be a child. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to know you're dependent upon him. And he wants us to love you and for you to love him with everything you have. Let's pray together. So, Lord, it's, it is hard sometimes to take a look at ourselves deeply. And we typically do a really good job of hiding who we are. So our prayer is, Lord, um, help us to look in the mirror. Help us to see the pride that's there that's uh, keeping us from really experiencing you. Help us to see the pride that's keeping us from experiencing relationship with one another. And Lord, make us more like Jesus. Make us more like him. Help us truly to trust you, to be dependent on you, and to love you. And that as your child, we might just uh, jump on your back, trust you for where you want to take us, trust you for how you want to change us, and experience the deep love of a father in our own lives. So root out the pride, help us to be humble, Lord, as Jesus was. We pray this in Jesus' name.